2: Good day and welcome in, Rob Black and your money. A show dedicated to getting you to retirement, and then kind of breaking down some news and some ideas and demographics and trends. Throwing a little bit of entertainment. 170 million dollars a year for Taylor Swift. Woo! How did she get there and why am I here? Why am I making fifty thousand dollars? Like, oh. Uh, I'm not making $50,000 a year, but average person is. Speaking of average people and above average people and superior people, let's bring in the one, the only CFP, Chad Burton, and talk a little bit about an event coming up in Marin. And it's tied towards retirement and wealth planning and preservation. Uh, Chad, how are you? Doing well. Good, good, good. So that event's coming up uh, September 10th, and it's our only visit to Marin in the year. And it's our second-to-last event for the year, so it's good that people know about it and potentially sign up for it. Um, Any thoughts on San Rafael, 9 to noon? (laughs) Any thoughts on it? Yeah, yeah.
3: I guess we we picked a Saturday due to traffic, right? So one of our very few – I don't even think we've done a Saturday event this year. So, um, yeah, come out and show some love in Marin.
2: Perfect. Well said. And people can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. What do we need to know so that we can transition into a wealth management or retirement type of portfolio? Because I'm not there, but I know that I'm 10 years from there, and I don't know anything about that transition from worker bee to retirement.
3: Yeah, that transition, you should mentally start that slow process of changing your portfolio 10 years from retirement And by the time you're five years away from retirement, you actually want your portfolio to look like it should the day you retire. And the reason why is because you don't want to be that person that, I'm going to be aggressive up until the day to retire. I'm going to retire in October of 2007. And then you retire, you go on your big vacation, um, you get working on the honey-do list, and you turn around and the market's down 40% by 2009 and you didn't do anything to buffer that downside. You know, timing doesn't matter when you're accumulating wealth, Rob. I mean, we're we're funding 401Ks and Roths out of our paycheck. We're constantly buying, we're constantly receiving dividends and interest that we're reinvesting to buy more shares. So, you know, three or four years of, uh, you know, decline in the stock market, like we've had in 2000, 2001, 2002, and then 2008 and 2009. Those are huge buying opportunities for building wealth. But when you're drawing your portfolio, you just can't sell during those periods of time. Timing is everything in retirement. So what you need to know is you need to know your risk tolerance and and how you're able to deal with volatility and how much you can take the emotion out of investing. And so you need to know general market history in order to kind of – get an idea of your risk tolerance, and that's the the market's positive 70% of the time. There's only been two periods in the last 100 years where the market's declined three years in a row, and that was right after the Great Depression when they raised rates too soon, and then 2000, 2001, and 2002. Um, then you have to go through the process of really knowing your expenses, and that includes taxes and healthcare and all the other stuff that we talk about, because your safe money has to do with your expenses minus your dependable income like Social Security and pensions, and that gives you your three years worth of safe money number that I talk about. So you have to go through that process to get what is your three years worth of safe money. That's your reserves to help get you through bad markets in retirement so you don't have to sell when the market's down. And so then you go through the process of, of starting to look at the portfolio and say, all right, now we're trying to get the majority of the upside without the majority of the downside. And so you start yeah. to look for lower volatility funds, a uh, little bit lower risk, high, high, more dependable dividends that increase over time. And, you know, it, it, it's it's really a, a planning process that takes, it's not just a one meeting deal. You have to go through the entire plan and really plan for that tra- transition into a distribution portfolio.
2: I'm with you on that. And again, psychologically, I, I don't think I'm there though. <laughs> just so you know, it's like, it's intimidating. Do you run into people who are just intimidated by uh, things that you're saying, like three years cash and uh, be ready for different types of markets? Because it is kind of different verbiage per se.
3: It is. I mean, it, and it's we go through these periods where it's really difficult to have um, people take the advice on the three years of cash. The most one of the most difficult times to get people to create that cash going into retirement was 2007 because the market was doing so well and all tides were rising and everything. And there was like, everybody, I don't want to miss out on these returns. And the issue was, is that it, those that didn't have that cash didn't have those reserves, they weren't able to retire or they had to go back and try to find work through one of the greatest recessions that we've ever had in this country. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a process and, the thing that's also made it hard rob is that you know CDs and bonds and FDIC insured bank accounts because of what happened in 2008 9 are at the lowest yield that we've ever seen so people are like well I don't I'm not going to her- earn anything on my 3 years worth of safe money so why should I do it again you're going to do it because we have correction we have a 20% correction every 5 to 7 years and Those are fine. You will go through those corrections every five to seven years, and they won't hurt you as long as you have a distribution plan that includes three years' worth of expenses
2: and cash. Can you explain how asset allocation changes? Yeah, definitely. And
3: what what you really have to focus on is which asset classes are in which account. So in general, in my taxable accounts, the accounts that are in your trust account or a joint account with your spouse, or just in your name directly. So they're non-retirement accounts. Those accounts are usually a mix of large-cap, mid-cap size companies. So mostly large-cap dividend-paying stocks and California tax-free bonds. That's the assets that you want to target for your taxable account. Because all other asset classes, like small-cap, they have a lot of turnover, a lot of ongoing tax issues, so you can hide them, essentially, in your retirement account. Same with emerging markets, same with corporate bonds, um, basically most of the other asset classes. So okay. you, you kind of have – it's it's a mix of, of large cap and tax-free in your taxable accounts and everything else in your retirement accounts.
2: Finally, um, as we're promoting this seminar coming up in about 10-plus days, uh, people can sign up for it at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. What about Roth allocations? Because there's a lot of flippy-floppy kind of rules with Roths.
3: Yeah, there is. And really, again, you have to kind of do your overall financial plan, a long-term cash flow projection to see at what point will you need to draw on that account. Um, some people have a significant Roth allocation, a lot of money in a Roth, and so they're going to want to start taking income from it right away in retirement, and those types of people will typically have higher income producing assets in there. They might hold uh, a good portion of their bonds and their, and again, dividend-paying stocks. If your goal is to leave it, which a lot of people end up saying, this is the last asset I'm going to touch, I'm likely going to leave it to my kids, then they tend to invest it pretty aggressively. Um, so you really have to go through that financial planning process, long-term cash flow projections that are very detailed with your health care expenses, inflation, taxes, has to all be in there. And uh, you got to see, well, maybe you will leave it for your kids, or maybe you're going to start income from that asset in 10 years. And you'll, then in that case, you might start off aggressive in the Roth and then eventually transition it into an income-producing
2: asset. Thanks very much. You've got a great website with a lot of good downloadables and financial quizzes and tests to figure out where your risk levels fo- lie. You can get started by going to newfocusfinancial.com. Big event coming up in San Rafael, 9 to noon. Tied towards retirement Wealth planning A little bit of wealth creation It's a good event for all So bring your young ones Bring your old ones And you're going to get Your financial questions answered uh, Good event Sign up at newfocusfinancials.com.
1: 6, 1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220
2: KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's back to school time, right? which to me means parents are going to be spending doleros, big doleros. uh, Backpacks that can run as little as 20 bucks, probably, as much as $250 if you get a Kate Spade backpack. Does your kid deserve a Kate Spade backpack? Just remember back to when they were three or four and you had a nice couch and a nice coffee table, and a couple years later it's being used to stop hockey pucks. So I would not overspend on... I would try not to overspend. I've seen things that shoppers are buying this year, 195 for a Gucci headband, $572 for a Versace backpack. Um, there's a $28 Therese pencil case. A pencil case, $28. <laughs> Those are some damn fine writing uh, instruments, right? Um, I don't know. Everything costs money, right? So it's a big time for the U.S. economy, back-to-school season. Um, it's not quite Christmas, but it's up there. So... Uh, with that said, you know, just try not to go broke. Try not to have your kids face you, force you to go broke. Uh, in the community I live in, there's a lot of kids who play baseball. And I've seen some of these bats that run $250, $280. A baseball bat. It's got a cool name. Like, the... Um, the Shagonator. Guaranteed to hit shag. Like... No. If anything with Nader... At the end of it, tells you that it's overpriced, probably. Let's bring in Tony Mendez, Bay Area Loan Talk a little real estate. Let's welcome in Tony Mendez. Tony Mendez is a mortgage lender. You can find him at Bay Area Loan That's Bay Area Loan Tony, fixing your credit. That's something we've all been there, gotten into a late payment. I have one in the last five years. And my story is kind of goofy. It was a mortgage payment that mm-hmm. I sent in the payment. They didn't cash the check. Uh-oh. Then they notify me and they say, okay, now that you're almost late, send it to this P.O. box. And I thought I did. I'm pretty sure I did.
4: Yeah, And that's the worst one to, to pay late is the mortgage, especially if you're looking at other kind of uh, real estate transactions, because it really hangs on there for quite a while, no matter what your credit score is. It didn't credit. Yeah. Uh, credit score has the biggest effect on your Uh, rate in almost any product that you're going to get, whether it's a credit card, a car loan, or a mortgage. The mortgage, obviously, is going to be the largest expense because you're going to pay that over 30 years, and it can really add up. The difference between a 640 score and a 740 score on a a traditional type of of loan is about 1%. On a $400,000 loan, that's $200 a month more that you're spending because you have a lower credit score. So the first thing I would do is get a copy of your credit report. You can go to annualcreditreport.com, or you can go to your creditor. Let's say you're doing a, a transaction of some sort. Hopefully, they'll be able to show you the, the the credit report. Check for accuracy. Make sure that everything's on there. And if there's some things that you can fix that are easy, try to do it on your own or use that creditor. If they're a lot more difficult, then you can try using some of these invasive credit card companies and they uh, credit repair companies. And they can range in price from $85 a month to a one-time $2,000, $3,000 fee, depending on how bad it is and how um, what's the necessity of, of – how quickly you need it. So what's ironic or what's odd about a credit score is you have to use credit
2: and maintain credit to have a good credit. Right. Score. There's a
4: lot of misconceptions about how to keep your credit good yeah. and how to improve your credit.
2: I, for instance, grew up as a young man thinking if I have no credit card debt, they'll love me because I pay off my credit card where mm-hmm. a credit card company wants you to carry a balance because that's how they make
4: money. And it 's also how the it's part of their algorithms that they use to calculate your actual credit. You have to use your credit cards. The best way to do on a credit card, for example, is to have a balance below thirty um, percent of the limit. so if you have a limit of ten thousand, you want to keep it below three thousand. but you want to keep using it you, you definitely want to don't want to pay it off every month. your credit score will be lower than somebody who actually has ten credit cards they pay on time and keep their balances low. Another way to keep your credit uh, clean is is keep keep accounts open and don't close them but definitely make sure you manage them and so they don't get stolen and 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 that brings up another point too you also want to keep you want to keep them open eye on your account well
2: before we go there keeping your credit lines open
4: mm-hmm.
2: ages the account the well, average years that you've had credit so if you many, open up a lot of new credit cards mm-hmm. you're you've only had credit maybe from 5 years will go down to 1 year cuz you just opened right. 5 new credit cards so correct all, all those years of of paying on time just got watered down because you opened up too
4: many c- new credit cards yeah there's there's several factors that will affect your credit um, your lower balances uh, accuracy collections time new accounts uh, the, there's three bureaus there's equifax transunion and experian and at a dot com at the end of the, each one of those and you can go and get your own credit report you can also d- do disputes This is when you want to do your fixing your credit on your own. You could do a dispute through that agency or that bureau. Um, Or you can use your creditor to do what they call rapid rescores. If you need a really quick transaction and there's something easy, maybe it was a, a mistake on your credit report, you can show up a bill and say, I did really pay this, and you could do a rapid rescore. And sometimes there's a big difference. Like if you're doing a rental property and you're buying an investment property, there's minimum scores you need to meet if you have a certain down payment. And some people need to do these types of rapid rescores. So getting in front of your credit is important. We Talked about monitoring your credit. There's some good tools that you use. For instance, Credit Karma is one. Credit Karma. That's an app on a phone. It's an it's an app, but what it and it may not be the most effective tool to managing your your credit, but it gets you involved. It's it tells you that uh, all your accounts that are on there, what your balances are, and it also alerts you if this if new uh, new entries come up, new inquiries, and and new credit. So it's a way that people get involved, and I think that everyone should be involved in their credit because it has such an impact in the the financial industry.
2: Good idea. And one last final thought that I want to throw out there is to improve your credit score, go out and get a credit. You know, go put $1,000 on your credit card and start paying it off slowly. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you really, really, really want to improve your credit, that's one way of doing it. Show that you could pay on time. We've been talking with Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Um, Lots of things to talk about. You know, what happened to Apple yesterday? We learned that they have a $14.5 billion in taxes that they owe, maybe. The EU says yes. Ireland and Apple say No. So Apple paid virtually no tax to Ireland or any country on profits because of a former law in Ireland. In the last year, that law was in effect. Apple sales paid just 0.005 tenths of a percent. Um, and some people are outraged, and some people are not. So, um, Ireland gave legal preferential treatment to Apple. Is the issue was it legal or illegal? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, i got a big event coming up in Marin in San Rafael on the 10th of September. It's just right around the corner. Not a lot of people have signed up yet, so sign up uh, as soon as you can. Sign up at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com.
1: 1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: I'm Rob Black, talking money invested in more. Investing should be kind of international because, well, we live in kind of an international world, right? So you should open your mind to stocks that are not maybe in your world. Alibaba founded in 1999. It's China's biggest mobile e-commerce firm. Providing retail and wholesale shopping, travel, booking, travel reservations. Cloud computing payment services—they're kind of the Chinese Amazon. So, put it on your radar. Don't buy it. Put it on your radar. That's about Alibaba's long-term growth, his weight on the stock, those fears less enough. The company's reported results in the recent quarter that blow out. You have to deal with China's slowing economy. That's going to be an issue. So, it should be on your radar. In my opinion, China's too big to ignore. How about this one for a Belgium company? What Belgium company do you think I'm going to bring up? How about Budweiser? Budweiser, Budweiser. Um Anheuser-Busch, InBev, is the world's biggest brewer, formed when Belgium's InBev bought Anheuser-Busch. Here comes the Bud, here comes the Bud, da da um They're buying their main rival. You know, Anheuser-Busch is buying S.A.B. Miller. That's not bad. They're going to own almost 30% of the Monopoly board. 200 brands, Corona, Fosters, Miller, Peroni, Stella Artois, Budweiser. So, craft beer is kind of eating into the business model, but they're not going to go away anytime soon. Mm, Beer, beer. You not only like the Swiss volleyball team, right, but you also have to like Nestle. N-E-S-T-L-E, Nestle makes the very best. Chocolate. Nice dividend yield. They've been around for 150 plus years. 92 billion in revenue. Um, They own Perrier. Perrier. The French have invented this new thing called water. Let's sell it to the stupid Americans. But we can get it from the faucet for free. Let's sell it to the stupid Americans and give it a French name. No. I love the French. Their long French bread. Their mimes. Their persistent failing to the Germans. I love their Perrier. But anyway, if you want to own an international stock, you can own the Swiss's Nestle, because they own Perrier, Gerber, Kit Kat, Purina DiGiorno, frozen pizzas, lean cuisine, dryers, ice cream. Not going to anytime anytime soon. Uh, Royal Dutch Shell is an oil company out of the Netherlands. So a uh, plunge in energy prices is created by an opportunity if you believe we're going to use energy in the future. Uh, 7.5% dividend yield. So that's out there. How about Sanify, ticker symbol SNY, speaking of the French. Ranks amongst the world's biggest drug companies, thirty-nine and thirty-nine point four billion dollars um, in sales. Woo! That's a lot of drugs. That's a lot of antidepressants. So um, they do diabetes, they do cancer, they do a lot of rare diseases, vaccines for typhoid and dengue. It owns biotech firm Genzyme. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Let's bring in a little financial planning into the show. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, talking all things financial. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com or hear him right here on this radio station from 1 to 2 p.m. New Focus on Wealth, Risk Tolerance, and Rebalancing. Chad, those are two very big
5: terms that all investors must be aware of. Why? Well, what will happen is in good times, people stick with the winners, and that tends to be good for a three-year period. And then the best asset class that performed the best over a three-year period in the next five years is likely, in one of those years, is going to be one of the worst places to be because things correct. The way that the market works is that you have you know 10-year average P.E. ratios, 10-year average price-to-sales ratios, and you tend to get pushed well above that for a year or two before it corrects back down. And unfortunately, investors chase that end of the return because you don't hear about it in the news until... The party's already over. Until everybody's always saying how good the returns were. People get in late, and then uh, they take too much risk, and then it drops. And then instead of hanging in there for a couple of years until it comes back, they sell, and then by the next winter, that drops three years later. You know, it's just this, this roller coaster ride, and short term memory issue that investors have.
2: I remember recently pulling up a chart when the S&P 500 hit a record high, and it was being led by healthcare. The healthcare sector was breaking out. And the underperformer was consumer staples. Mm-hmm. Simply put, and everywhere in between was financials and tech, and they were all in between. So the winners were healthcare, the laggards were consumer staples. Right. As a, an active investor, would you say
5: that there's value in consumer staples and that there's growth in healthcare? Like, well, yeah, but I mean, let me give you an example. It's a perfect example that you brought up because early in 2013, consumer staples had had a huge run by then. Okay. Everybody had bit them up because they were. Dividend paying stocks in most cases, not high revenue growers, not growth companies, but dividend paying stocks. So investors piled into them. So all of a sudden we had dividend yields well below the ten year average. We had price to sales and PE ratios well above the ten year average. We decided to sell consumer staples ETF and go into the healthcare ETF, and that was one of the best performing asset classes because looked, we looked at the healthcare ETFs and they were almost just the opposite of that because everybody was freaked out of Obamacare and Affordable Care Act, which and it's the same thing. But so a lot of these companies had been bid down and were trading at a discount relative to the S&P 500. And that's the kind of subtle moves that you make. You buy when it doesn't look right. You know, you buy when nobody else wants it. You don't buy when it's already done well.
2: So when rates are low, people are looking dividend-paying stocks as bond alternatives. Yeah. You know, the AT&T's, the Verizon, the telecommunication companies have 4%, 5% dividend yields. Utilities have 2 to 3% dividend yields sometimes. Um, Is that a good idea to hide in
5: growth stocks or hide in dividend-paying stocks? If you can really babysit it, because the problem with this is that a lot of those uh, stocks, especially utilities, REITs, and telecom, can be very sensitive to a jump in interest rates. A lot of times that sensitivity, though, is short-term. The problem is is that you have conservative investors selling portions of their bonds to go into dividend-paying stocks thinking that they just go up and they pay a great dividend, those same investors are very conservative. So when they start to lose money and see a negative value on a statement, they freak out. And so they'll sell right at the bottom of the dip, and they turn their losses into real. So especially you know when you're younger, yeah, absolutely. Just deal with a little bit more volatility. You don't really need bonds. But when you're older, you still have to maintain a level of risk that you're comfortable with. I rebalance twice a year in my 401K. Mm-hmm. Good idea, bad idea? Uh, good idea. I mean, I would assume that you're Rob Black and you rebalance more like you know, every three months, but you know that's just my opinion. I don't think I have that option. Yeah, you go in manually and do it. You okay. can turn on the automatic rebalancer, but come on, log in manually, Rob. Do some rebalancing. Do you realize how important my time is? You are a busy man. If I'm not solving cancer, if I'm
2: not finding Noah's Ark, if I'm not out there, you know, trekking philanthropy and helping people in Africa, do you think I have time to do quarterly rebalancing? Come on. <laughs> so when do you, how do you determine it to rebalance? Like, for instance, market correction rebalance Market 52-week high rebalance, or do you just say?
5: both? Okay. It's both. Uh, so what what you do is, so we have six different models ranging from very conservative to very aggressive, and we have thresholds at every asset class for each model. And as soon as, so if we set one model that might be, you know, 15% international developed and 10% emerging markets, yeah. and the international developed goes more than 10% above its its allocated level, then we say, okay, we're it's time to sell. What are some other areas in the portfolio that look like a screaming buy because they're selling at a discount? Is that emerging markets? Is that small cap or whatever? So you're, once it hits the upper and the lower bands, it either sets a sell trigger or a buy trigger, and you look for places to fill. It's not automatic. I don't like stop losses necessarily, but it's an internal uh, monitor of your own portfolio.
2: So CFP, Chad Burton, this is what he does for a living. He's on top of all things financial. He's a financial planner great website tons of content seriously i was surprised by how much is there how many articles have been written how many videos how many pdfs that you know can start you thinking in the process of retirement and what it means to you you can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com that's newfocusfinancial.com san francisco's housing market is very is very slowly starting to cool is very slowly cooling very slowly cooling um So, we saw the S&P Case-Shiller Index that came out, and San Francisco is looking a lot more normal. Now again, you look at some of the the areas that uh, Portland's, the Seattle's, the Denver's, they're not looking anything but normal, they're looking rock and roll. Been a long time since I rock and rolled. Um, So June marked the fifth consecutive month in which the year-on-year increase was equal to or smaller than a prior month's stint. Uh, One caveat that we should have here is that, you know, it's pretty reflective of price changes for premium homes and not all homes. Some of the the lower-end homes can continue to rock and roll while the higher-end homes have started to cool. Uh, The continued slowdown suggests that San Francisco housing might start looking more normal by the end of the year. So, anyway, with that being said, don't forget we've got a big event coming up uh, Saturday, September 10th, in the Bay Area in San Rafael. It's a wealth preservation, retirement planning, and wealth creation event. We're throwing it kind of all together, so it's welcome for all ages, but particularly if you're heading towards retirement, you can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. You said-
1: black now 800-516-1220 that's 800-516-1220 now back to rob black and your money on am 1220 kdow
2: I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Got a big event coming up in a couple weeks on a Saturday. And I kind of need you to sign up for it because I want to see that people are listening. I want to see that people care to educate themselves. So you can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. That's the best indicator because my station doesn't subscribe to ratings, so it's sometimes tough to tell uh, who's listening and who's not listening. So pick up the phone, give me a call, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Starting to head towards the end of the year, right? And that's kind of important. In large part, you'll start to kind of get a feel for um, the back end Uh, A big part of the back end of the year is definitively um, back to school and obviously Christmas. So a lot to be learned in um, these shopping seasons. Is that the right way that we want to say that? I'd say holiday seasons, but I think I'm trying to say that they're holiday seasons. Um, So back end is going to show us much. Uh, taking a look at some of the stories out there, job growth meets expectations, but it's all in services. San Francisco's out-of-control housing market it looks like in the last five months it started to become more normal and it started to cool. Stranger Things just got a second season on Netflix. Um, it's been a surprise summer hit. Uh, based in the 1980s, it's fun to go back and see, you know, Macintosh computers and things like MTV, uh, some of the iconic 80s in our life. Um, I've watched a couple episodes, and I'm not into it. I'm supposed to be into it. Everyone tells me how great it is, and I'm just like, meh. Average household is expected to spend $674 on back-to-school this year, a uh, considerable increase from the $527 we spent about 10 years ago. Um, so that's the, that part of that big you know, spending boom. Redfin is out there today saying we are not in a housing bubble. I just told you that San Francisco is cooling, but if I could take the last 10 years of San Francisco, I'd gladly take that in a heartbeat, um, even if we get cooling. So are we in a housing bubble or not a housing bubble? Or is it just cooling in some areas while other areas are still working? So Redfin's chief economist out there today saying, despite sky-high real estate prices, there's no housing bubble. We've just hit really high prices and shrinking number of transactions. Uh, Redfin's economist said, I think the market is contracting instead of expanding into a bubble. It's tough to figure out what the heck he's trying to say, right? June marked the 50th consecutive month of annual national home appreciation. The average national home price for the month was 265000 That's within 1.1% of a record high. Uh, Bubbles are usually marked by speculative building and buying, Uh, neither of which is happening right now, according to Redfin. I'm seeing a ton of building and construction going on. But I live in the Bay Area, and I obviously don't drive in New Orleans. I don't drive in Phoenix. I don't drive in other areas where I'm not sure what's going on. So, new construction, short of historical norms. Um, Mortgage rates are still low, and underwriting is still very, very tight. It is a very, very tough thing to get a new mortgage at this point in time, only because the rates are so low that they're very protective. So, high-quality loans get um, high-quality, hardcore background checks. Tesla plans to raise additional cash this year to help fund development and production of its new Model 3 sedan and build out a giant battery factory. That tends to be a good thing for the stock. So they do this debt equity or this debt offering, and the stock goes down for a period right at that time, and historically the stock has done very well shortly thereafter. If you look at Tesla's finances, they're to me, a mess. They closed the second quarter with nearly 3.2 billion in cash. 3.2 billion in cash—that's a lot of cash, right? But it repaid 678 million on a revolving line of credit. It plans to redeem 422 million in convertible notes. That's going to leave the company with 2.1 billion in cash. It's also told their analysts earlier this year that it plans to spend 1.75 billion in the second half. So 2.15 billion left over in cash, 1.75 billion in spending on plants and equipment. They're trying to get the Model 3 $35,000 sedan ready for production for next year, and they're trying to finish the construction of the Reno Gigafactory. Tesla's going to be left with around $400 million in cash at a time when the company's been burning through cash um, at faster than those levels. So they've had 14 straight quarters of negative cash flow since 2014. So <clears throat> um, their delivery slowed a little bit and. Uh, this year so they're going to the debt market they're raising money they're going to dilute shareholders and then they'll be fine with cash for a couple years maybe that's the thought very very cautious Uh, on one hand the company's burning through cash on the other hand it tells you that it's got brave new ideas for the world uber and lyft spent the last four years basically dominating the millennial market. Now they're going after new demographic, seniors, old people. Both ride-hailing companies recently announced partnerships with service providers that allow customers to book rides through a phone operator. Going after the older people. Fascinating. No? Sign up for the event September 10th in San Rafael, California. Wealth preservation, retirement planning, and a little bit of wealth creation dividend stocks by me. You can sign up for the event at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Twitter me, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. Take a break here. I'll be right back. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. Talk all things financial.